Richard. Hugh. I have not seen you in, I would say, a decade. At least, yeah. Face to face. It's so weird. Did you say you had heard an episode of the podcast? Have you listened to any of the podcast? Several, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I have, yeah. So you have an expectation. Yeah, yeah. Or no expectations, whatever. (laughs) I Um, I know what the finished product sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, it's it's never as good as the the actual recording because the recording has lots of extra stuff. But you know, what are we going to do? That being said, I think maybe we should get you to introduce yourself. Sure. You're listening to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process, with your hosts. Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Um, I am Richard Weiser. I am a, a advertising copywriter um, in the business for about twenty years, and uh, I've also written a book about Tom Thompson called uh, "The Real Mystery of Tom Thompson." Well. And that's the, so, yes, that's obviously true. But you also have written a whole bunch of poetry. I have, yes. Like, including, like, you've you've been published as a poet as well. I have, that's true. Um, I haven't published a book of poetry, but um, lots of uh, uh, journals and magazines um, here and there. So I've, I've, I've always written. I mean, that's the funny thing about, the advertising biz isn't it you meet all these people I was gonna say, yeah who, who make art as well as you know commercial art i think the interesting thing about advertising in, in general is there's no one who goes into advertising i think from the from the from a childhood standpoint they go boy i'd love to be a marketer you know <laughs> but true but there is money to be made as an advertiser so sometimes you stumble into it um but it, it doesn't mean that your creative outlets are gone. When you were more actively, like when when you entered in and, and were in, say, about 10 years, were you still writing for yourself at the same time? Or did you sort of ramp yourself back up after a certain number of years? Right. Yeah. I mean, sporadically, sporadically, I, I wrote um, things that I was interested in. Um, but I found... A lot of times um, during my career, I had to go, you know, 110 kilometers an hour just just to stay in the same place, and I really didn't have the time to do anything, you know, but but work yeah. projects and, and raise kids, and and you know, my spare time was going to things other than um, writing for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, a couple years ago. Um, I was heading back to work after a vacation and I was whining to my wife as one does uh, that I didn't want to go and she said uh, well you know why don't you why don't you not go back why don't you write that book you've been talking about for you know 20 years mm-hmm. um, and so that's how that came about <laughs> why don't you not go back you know that's, why don't you uh, not go back that's the 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 great benefit of a supportive partner is the why don't you just do the thing that you want to do um otherwise you know i've interviewed a a number of writers and 
every one of them, the discussion revolves around how do you make the time? And, and most, of the, most of it is, and it, it was Christian Cantrell who said, it, he used the word intentionality, the intentionality of mm. your time. I need to do it in a way that makes sense for my full-time gig and allows me to do the writing. And did you, when you did make that decision to, to, to not go back, um, how, was it simultaneously freeing and terrifying? That's all I can think is like oh, how, yeah. f- how frightening that decision might be. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think like a lot of people, I, I had a lot wrapped up in the idea of making some, some kind of art. Um, and I, you know, the, the agreement I had with my wife was, um, you know, you'll, you'll give it a try. Um, you know, maybe you'll, you'll come out of it with a book. Maybe you won't. And maybe you'll hate it. And, and then at least you can say, well, I gave it a shot mm-hmm. and, uh, and it didn't work out. Um, but of course, that's kind of terrifying because, you know, the, I suppose that would mean, oh, maybe I'm not a writer after all, you know, as I had <laughs> seen myself. So, so it, it was a bit terrifying but but very quickly um i found because i already had this project mapped out i I wasn't working with a blank canvas so to speak yeah um it it was just uh, joyful most of the process was very joyful and i you know i i uh, went to work at libraries and coffee shops and you know just cranked away and um i had i had lots of help along the way to sort of keep me on the uh, straight and narrow, so to speak, and mm-hmm. so it was. It was. It was a joyful process, but yeah, there was a lot at stake, and I, I was definitely aware of that. I, um, as someone who is sort of constantly producing things, um, self self directed projects, you know, I, I, I sort of have a grind it and do it kind of attitude. But I've, I've had plenty of people message and say. I don't, I could never do that. I could never, cause, cause the chance of it failing bothers them more than the ch- just producing. And I kind of right. go like, well, what is your definition of failure? Like, is your, is your definition of failure that a thousand people didn't appreciate the thing you did? Or is your definition of failure that you didn't do it at all? And generally my definition of failure is I didn't do it at all. Whether or not it's appreciated, that makes very little difference to me. I agree with you. Um, and I think you have to be that way because in this day and age, you know, creation of art, it's, you know, it's a, almost a coincidence if it does mm-hmm. well commercially. So I think you have to, um, there's a, it's a little flaky, but there's a, a, a parable about, a, you know, an archer um, taking aim with his bow and arrow. And, you know, once you have let go, you, you there's no point in looking at the target anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the way with art. You know, you, you have um, this idea of what you want to do, you know, your intentionality that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you do it and then you're done. You know, as far as as far as the art goes, you're, you're done and yeah. people appreciate it. They don't appreciate it. You know, whatever it, that that's done. And I think you have to do that for your for your sanity. For, yeah, I was gonna say for your sanity. Like, it, yeah. it, I think oftentimes we we neglect to recognize that the things that we do for money may not necessarily be that satisfying, <laughs> and the things that we do for ourselves, the satisfaction is only for ourselves. You know. 
I think that's true. That's um, actually one of the one of the sort of struggles I've had through this whole process of of, of writing mm. um, as as occupation is. I I had to kind of come to grips with the fact that you're not supposed to have fun uh, <laughs> working. You know, you're not supposed to do something that you think is really cool because you think it's cool. Right. You're yeah. you're supposed to show up at an office and do work that's probably ultimately unsatisfying and boring, difficult. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's this um, uh, work ethic that a lot of us uh, are brought up with. You know, um, probably unconsciously. And so when you find yourself in a position of, uh, you know, joyfully creating art. Um, I think I think there's a bit of guilt mixed in there that you have to kind of come to grips with. Yeah, yeah. The the um, and we're we're way off any kind of topic, but we're we're within the bounds of the podcast. But um, you know, I think that the 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 trap of monetization of of what you're doing uh, is it's a weakness that we all share, I and mean, especially as marketers, we're always trying to figure a way to turn a nickel into a, a quarter. Right. Um, but that being said, again, I, I sort of think that the 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 joy in is in the creation. the The satisfaction of making is is far better to me than than any kind of like award or anything like that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that said, it's certainly nice to be appreciated, <laughs> right? You know. Well, you know, I, I was really I was really pleased to when you when your book launched. I was I was really pleased to see you doing speaking gigs. Uh, to to talk to groups of people about the subject, right? Like it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh man, that has to be really satisfying." It's um, yeah. I mean, it it's a lot of fun. Um, it, f- I think probably what I enjoy about it, and maybe everyone does, but what I enjoy about it is talking about something that I'm enthusiastic about. Yeah, and, and to people that have some interest, mm-hmm. you, you know. Because um, a lot of times, you know, making art is just, you know, kind of throwing something up on the wall and, and you don't know who, if anyone will see it. But when you're you're reading from your book to a bunch of people who bought tickets to attend this event, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, you're, you're, you're probably in the right place. You're probably in the to, right place to present. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I did a talk and I remember I had apologized a couple of times and a friend of mine who was a, a really well-regarded public speaker, he came up at the end and said, you need to not apologize. People came intentionally mm. to your talk. They wanted to hear you. And I, you know, I, I was like, yeah, okay. okay." You know, so from then on, if I was scheduled to do a talk, I never, ever said, you know, geez, I'm sorry. Or what, you know, it was always like a, thanks for being here. I'm, I'm getting going, you know, pay attention. This is great. Um, do you, are you a natural public speaker? <sighs> I suppose I I I always figured uh, you know I was missing the that part of my brain that's supposed to be terrified of public speaking. Mm-hmm. I think I think in terms of of uh, phobias, uh, it's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's up there. You know, one of the top things people are, are afraid of. But no, I've never I've never been particularly. I probably should have at various <laughs> points not not <laughs> yacked so much. But I, I've never been afraid of it. And and that's that certainly helped me in my marketing career where I was expected to present stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just thinking. Is is yeah. you know I, I know a lot of creatives. It, it's part of their 
it seems like it's part of their genetic makeup to be comfortable to speak in front of a client. And I, I, I would think that when you're dealing with speaking at a book launch, that it's it's like talking to a whole bunch of clients. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it it it's, it is a bit different though, as as you mentioned before, because people are. You know, it's not a business meeting that they're obliged to, to go to. They're, they, you know, they've made the choice to come. They have mm. some interest in the topic. True, true, true. And with, with uh, you know, when you're speaking about a book, a lot of times, too, if they haven't already bought the book, they're intending on buying it. So it's, it's a very f- friendly um, audience. Yeah, yeah, receptive, as it were. Yes, and as you know, with with business presentations, sometimes there's other stuff at play there, and even if you have something good to show, the you know the reception is not so so good. Mm. First off, what is interesting and what is mysterious about Tom Thompson? All right, I'll give you I'll give you my my uh, spiel. Your, my elevator pitch. I'll give you the elevator <laughs> pitch. So. The thing about Thompson uh, that I think is remarkable, that I think is mysterious, is not that he died, um, you know, um, under mysterious circumstances, mm. and it's it's not that we're you know we're not a hundred percent sure where he's buried. It's that this guy who who didn't go to art school, all of his all of the group of seven did. They all studied in Europe, mm-hmm. but he studied, um, you know, took a two year course in commercial art. In, at his brother's college in Seattle, um, and and you know, and he and he didn't paint even in earnest till he till he was uh, you know um, almost forty. Hmm. He he painted full time for four years, and out of the entire group of seven, I think his works are the most iconic. Hmm. If, if if people can identify one painting made by a Canadian, it's it's probably. The West Wind, right, or or the Jack Pine. You know, I feel like that for a lot of people that are raised in Canada, you just look at that and you say, "Well, this is that's Canadian art." I think what's even so, in- more interesting is the fact that you may not recognize it as Tom Thompson's art, but you will you will know it's a Group of Seven piece, right? Like that's, but he became the definitive Group of Seven artist. You kind of went, I'm, I recognize that immediately. You know, he he yeah. Oh, I think I think there's no question. Um, the group of seven would have been something else if it wasn't for Thompson. You know, he was sort of the godfather, and and they displayed his canvases alongside their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially at the start when they were establishing themselves. So um, yeah, I mean, I think he's I think he's a, a, a crucial part of Canadian art, and I think that part gets forgotten with all the romance around the right. you know his his death and mm-hmm. burial. And this is this is from someone who went to A. Y. Jackson High School, by oh, the way. So. I do have a, I should have more of a like, no, A.Y. Jackson, but I don't, it's not like that. We're, we're not competitive Canadians about the, the Group of Seven as much. Yes, uh, uh, one would hope there wouldn't be too many fist fights around. Although, <laughs> Which is our favorite. Jackson was, Jackson was uh, an amazing character, though, you know, really a real fighter. Thompson mm. was, was really chill and, and kind of, you know, sweet, maybe a little bit passive. And Jackson was, was, uh, you know, the Hemingway of the group of seven was he like for, the for Hemingway? Sh- for sure, yeah. he was. I think he was. <laughs> um, and he, he, if he hadn't kicked Thompson in the pants and said, "Listen, you know, this is your chance. To, you know, take this guy up on his offer of of uh, of of paying your way for a year while you paint." Mm. 
you know, he probably wouldn't have done it. There might there might not have been any Tom Thompson if it wasn't for A.Y. Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, interesting, but we, 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 we really neglect to recognize what patronage is and, mm. you know, what a benefactor might be and how many of the great artists of any generation typically had a patron. Patreon is our new patronage. And, it you know, I, I look at it now and think, like, there have been many artists... Tom Thompson would be a, a good oh, example of that. That, absolutely. Were, that absolutely needed some kind of financial backing to not perfect, but continue. That's a hundred percent true. If, if it wasn't for uh, Dr. James McCallum, um, Thompson never would have started off and, and he, he kept them going. He built the studio building mm-hmm. uh, down by uh, Bloor Station, where which is still standing, which the Group of Seven was their first home. So, yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate the importance of... of uh, of eight, of uh, James McCallum to the group of seven and Tom Thompson, but patronage to artists, absolutely, yeah. it's 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 crucial, and it it is very interesting the way that Patreon kind of crowdsourced patronage. Um, it, it's a you know who would have thunk it? Yeah, <laughs> well, and, it, and it, you know it's it's one of the more interesting things that has has sprung out of the new world of uh, internet is is this concept of crowdfunded. Uh, financial sourcing and I mean it obviously some people do better than others but it it is an interesting scenario that 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 does parlay itself very well into the arts because we there's no reason or if you have talent there should be no reason you need to suffer for it you know yeah yeah, absolutely, and and I think for nowadays a lot of artists, the their traditional sources of income, uh, like the you know selling uh, uh, recordings, mm-hmm. um, have have shrunk to the point that it's difficult to survive on them, and and uh, even book sales um, as a source of income in Canada, it's you know it's ridiculous. You need yeah. a day job. Yeah, you know you you can't do without. So um, I th- I think it's interesting the idea of of crowdsourcing. Um, income in that way you know whether it's you know some sort of supplementary content that you're producing or or you know some sort of inside look i um i think i think that's fascinating Mm -hmm. and um and it's and it's making a difference you know concretely to 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 uh to artists uh you know right right now there's a sci-fi artist in england uh what's his name gareth powell and um He's a smart cat. He's 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 our age. He's middle aged, but he's he's really sort of plugged into um, social media. Okay. And um, and he you know that's he makes a lot of supplemental income through through um, his I don't know if it's Patreon or you know one of those uh, avenues. Sure. And I think that's really fascinating how how that's um, you know he's got his fans and they they're able to give him a little bit and it's enough to kind of keep him going. Mm-hmm. Well. You know, uh, my wife is a prime example of how Patreon can change a life, yeah. you know, um, and I don't we're not going to talk about her. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, what I'm interested in is when you went from going part time to full time into the, the, the book and into writing, did you while you were before you went into full time, did you feel that you were only scratching the surface of what you needed or do you feel like you had a good baseline for what led you to the full time work? Um, so you're talking, we're talking about full time writing, writing full-time, the book itself, full time writing the book itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I felt I had what I need. I, I was in the position that I'd been kicking around. Um, you know, I'd done the research already. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I traveled, to, you know, to Owen Sound, to to Seattle, and and, and you know, visited the archives in Ottawa. Um, you know, maybe a decade before. Oh, okay. And and luckily for me, I mean, n- nothing is happening. These guys have all been dead for for you know decades, centuries. And mm-hmm. in, in Thompson's case, so so there's no new letters being discovered or anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's lucky. I mean, if I was doing something contemporary, it would have. Sure. I would. It would have been done. Yeah. Um, so I had. I definitely had. I had the research. I'd. I'd. You know, written stuff. I, I had sort of pieces of manuscript. So I really just had to put it together and and work the content through. Okay. So so I had lots of stuff to work with, and I there was no. Um, you know, I there was no empty pages or blank canvases. So luckily, right. yeah, no then, shocking discoveries that that all of a sudden well, you're like I have the time to look into this and I didn't before and. <clears throat> So that's the other bit. That's the second spiel. Mm. Um, I did find something new, which oh, was kind of fun. That no one I, else was aware of. Something that's never been published oh, anywhere else. See, here we go. Here we go. Scoop yeah. of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds fun. more I mean, sarcastic than yeah, was it meant to it, sound sarcastic. No, no, that's cool. It's, um, um, I didn't take it that way. It, it was, uh, you know, it's it, it's funny to me to be, to be talking about this stuff, especially with you as someone that I know, you know, uh, personally, and, sure. and you know, um, I'm not uh, giving a talk on Thompson, because um, it is a funny thing to say, and it does seem like y- y- shtick, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I was I, I was doing some research, um, uh, all these other writers have done a fabulous job writing about different aspects of Thompson's life, mm-hmm. and so I have the benefit of, of, of them, I've got, a, you know, a library of Thompson uh, books, and you know you when you're writing your own book you you check the sources right where did you find this out you know and I, and there was some information about um thompson's cousin um who was a naturalist worked at the royal ontario museum uh, for years and um his papers uh, were in the royal ontario museum in the archives uh, which are in the basement so I just thought, well, listen, I, I can see there's stuff there. Um, I just want to have a look at the source material and see see what I can see. So somewhere in my head, I was thinking, you know, what? Uh, how did this cousin um, uh, affect Thompson? How did he... Um, or did he, you know, change Thompson's ideas about painting? Did, did is it possible he inspired Thompson in some way, or right. gave him a certain point of view? So I, I'm looking through all this stuff. You know, I've got my white gloves on in the archives, and I'm looking through all this stuff, and um, I find, uh, you know, a diary, basically, you know, like a journal, hmm. and I'm looking through it, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's deciphering his his handwriting, and. Um, I can see he's he's you know writing down all of his thoughts about um, about Darwin and about how humans fit into into the idea of nature. Right. And so it turns out he, he um, even though it's fifty years after Origin of the Species, still lots of people in contemporary Canada at the right. turn of the twentieth century, you know, thought this is it's all about the Bible, like where humans are put on Earth to to have dominion over nature. Right. But but his cousin. Uh, is saying, you know, uh, I accept what what Darwin said. We're we're uh, a part of nature. You know, we're not apart from nature. 
and um, you know it's our job as you know these sentient beings as part of nature to understand the relationship between nature and how we think about nature hmm. and to to express it and then to find the harmony between our expressions of nature and nature right and you know as I'm kind of looking at this and thinking about it I, I realized like that's what Thompson's doing yeah Thompson's paintings they're not you know they're they're not these sort of strange foreign you know alien takes on nature they're not um savage and 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 forbidding which is was the general thought uh, you know in the earlier parts of the 20th century mm -hmm. but what they are is they're they're dynamic and vibrant and they're not meant to you know sort of shock us or 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 make us feel fear which again was the kind of thought initial thought about it but what they're supposed to do is is invite us in to, to sort of uh, make us feel like a part of nature make us feel like we could kind of you know sort of glide into these paintings and and see ourselves as, as a part of this uh, this nature that's very that is very very interesting uh, considering the fact that when uh, the origin of the species was published it was like uh, like in the late 1800s, mid 1800s, 1860 yeah, or something like that. That's right. Um, I'll look it up. Um, but uh, it was not well received by the scientific <laughs> community. And I mean, part no. and, and that whole we are apart from the uh, nature, not a part of nature, was a hugely controversial uh, idea to to denounce, which is what darwin did is like say well listen we're not better than anything else we've we've come along just as everything else has come along we just happen to go faster and you know use our thumbs better to have someone who would be kind of a contemporary of that time um take that as a <laughs> i won't say gospel but take that as a as a fact I mean, it does really color the way you look at the paintings from then on right like it's a it, it has effect an effect on how you see his paintings i, I think so and, and which is you what know, you just said i'm sorry i'm basically repeating you but no uh, that's so uh, you know i i perhaps didn't word it as clearly as you did but that that's exactly what i'm saying is is uh, you know um so in my book i i kind of set up this straw dog because you, you know northrop fry the the literary critic Ring I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no okay so so Northrop Fry was from this that professor. time he, he was um 20th century okay and he was a professor at U of T he was Margaret Atwood's professor oh um, and he was very influential um with this idea of uh, called the uh, garrison mentality and the idea of garrison mentality is that we Canadians uh, Europeans that have that have come across are, are sort of terrified by the, the vastness of Canadian nature. Mm. And so we hide inside the garrison and kind of peer out, you mm. know, fear, fearful of what's out there. And in Fry's mind, that defined Canadian literature. Um, and certainly there's something to it if you look at early Canadian literature, uh, roughing it in the bush and that sort of thing. Right. But he felt that that um, defined Thompson's paintings. Hmm. He said he said there was something out there that was all the more monstrous for not quite appearing, and that you know he talked about the Canadian Sphinx, 
And I don't know again, <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a terrific uh, phrase. And again, like when I was when I was reading about it, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, yeah, man, the Canadian Sphinx, you know. So Thompson Thompson's paintings are are like the Canadian Sphinx. And oh, it's a cat. The, I'm looking it up. Oh yeah, so Sphinx is a is a like a monster, a, a feline monster, <laughs> and in I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something different now. <laughs> um, in the in the the myth of Oedipus, he comes Oedipus comes to this uh, to Thebes, the city, and it's guarded by the Sphinx, and the Sphinx says, "I'm gonna tell you a riddle, and if you get it right, you can go into Thebes, and if you get it wrong, I'm gonna." kill you gonna yeah, tear you which apart. is how all riddles end <laughs> so 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 um he, this is what when fry's talking about the canadian sphinx he's he's saying you know there's this mystery in thompson's paintings um and and uh, you know uh, northrop fry says you know it, it's this fear basically you know like it's it's the the fearsomeness of, of canadian nature right and you know i just never that never sat right with me hmm. And when I read, you know, what Thompson's cousin had written about Darwin and about us being part of nature, you know, the clouds parted and the sunshine came down. And I said, well, that's that's definitely it. I, I just feel so strongly. That's that's what that's the mystery. That's, you know, that's what Thompson's paintings are about. And that's, yeah. you know, that's the answer to the riddle of the Sphinx. And, and so, you know, basically, I, I went back and looked at the paintings and I noticed in his later paintings that you can you can even see this path you know you, you can imagine a thompson painting you've got these you know these trees and a lake behind it mm -hmm. and then these these kind of hills that go into the into the lake you know and if you look at those hills they don't quite meet they right. overlap you know and and so so what you see uh, in the background isn't just a a bunch of trees that you can't enter a forbidding forest you actually see pathways that you could canoe into you know right just just around the path you can go in and, and there's something else and hmm. so i think i think consciously or unconsciously thompson was saying you know this is this is meant for you to come on in you know i'm, I'm painting something that you can yours you can to go discover in <laughs> just just like ontario that's right <laughs> Although I think it's open for business now, but it's, it was well, yours to discover for an incredibly long time. I, I yes. didn't mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get trite. You know, the, 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 but I am, I am very curious about whether or not your interest in Thompson started with the artwork or your interest in Thompson started with a, the understanding that there was this mystery to his life and death. Right. Um, I don't know why I wasn't more fascinated with his with his death, but what I liked about him is that he canoed. Okay. <laughs> Simple as that. I uh, my parents uh, in the summer would take us up to a lodge uh, in Muskoka, mm -hmm. you know, and we'd get to go out in a canoe and paddle around, mm -hmm. and um, and I liked it. And uh, you know, I uh, to me, you know, Muskoka was my my summer playground, you know. Sure. And when I found out there was this famous Canadian who who painted paintings of this of this country that I that I loved so much and he canoed around as he did it, I said, Oh, I love this guy. Mm -hmm. I can identify with him. So so that's what hooked me on Thompson and I was about uh, you know, thirteen in grade six. Okay. So I liked Thompson since then and, and then I probably started writing about him when I was about uh, twenty nine. And I finished when I was uh, around fifty. <laughs> well, 
well, you know. <laughs> we That's all, a long time. We all have our, everybody's timelines are different as far as I'm concerned. Well, I can, can you imagine, uh, you know, having a gig and that was your timeline? <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah. I, need, I need you to finish this within 20, 21 years. 21 years. years. Do you mind doing it? Um, yeah. Can you're gonna, you make it? You're going to bootstrap it and do other jobs, but this will be, I don't know, whatever. I, you know, I, I kind of think like, again, it, it comes down to, you did it. You know, do you, do you feel that um, having done it, do you now have plans for something else? Is there something else on the horizon for you? Uh, for sure, I want I want to keep I want to keep going. You know, I'll be I'll be seventy two, but it'll be done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was like, oh my god, how old are you now? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I I have yet to meet a writer that isn't working on something else. You yeah. know. Well, I mean, that's. I think that's one of the, uh, tr- you know, truisms of of writing. If if not, uh, you know, a lot of art is um, ideas are easy. Um, it's <laughs> it's making it's making it that's hard. You know that that's time consuming and 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 you know so so a lot of a lot of books are started and very few are are actually finished. Yeah, I mean, you've if you've you've heard some of the episodes of the podcast, you'll hear me constantly say ideas are not easy they're easy to us but they're not easy to everybody there are plenty of that people I, who are you know punching a clock who never have an idea and i think that i think having the idea is is equally as interesting as executing something you know what i mean but that being said i, I said this to christian is like when you surround yourself with a lot of creative people you think everybody's got a lot of ideas but that's just not how it is. Hang out with some people who work shift work, and you'll see. You know, it, I, I take your point, but but I mean, I still think it's one thing to come up with a great idea, and it's another thing to actually make something. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I, you know, the the execution is that's what I mean. It's like equally as important. You you can make something as interesting as you'd like, but without that idea to do it you wouldn't have done it you know what i mean you wouldn't have had the interest impetus or motivation so although the impetus and motivation i think are the same thing but hmm i'd have to look that up oh well (laughs) i i seem to recall you posting something about this but that somebody who was another author had reached out to you and said that something about your book really struck a chord with them yeah that's one of the my uh, the favorite experiences uh, or favorite aspects of this entire experiencing uh, of having published a book mm-hmm. is connecting with these other people that have written about the same topic about Thompson. They've been across the board so generous and positive and and uh, yeah, this the latest guy who who um, I got him a copy of my book and and he, and he said that you know that he liked it. Um, is uh uh you know this guy's got the order of canada mm. um he literally wrote the book on thompson he, he's he 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 actually solved the the mystery of thompson's death he has probably the best and most thought out explanation of how thompson died and again the the most convincing argument of where his body's buried mm. i in, in, as far as i'm concerned he he's he solved it right and and uh yeah, and then and and you know he took the time to to write me a nice note and said that he liked my book. So that's um, that's just immensely gratifying. Oh, oh, I can I, I can only imagine. That's that's so fantastic. Um, oh yeah. When uh, 
Did you frame it? <laughs> like you print it out? Not yet. You get it tattooed across my back, I think. That just fades with time. You want to put it in something with UV protection. Um, uh, shoot, I had a question. And I, as soon as I started asking about the, this other author, when, when it comes to um, other people who've written about him and, and you were saying that they're, they've been very generous and, and uh, supportive, um, do you do you find that that was because you reached out to them or was it like there's just this Tom Thompson writers support group that's just readily available there is there is <laughs> it's crazy there is um, uh, um, I reached out to a number of people uh, you know I, I just felt that even if they never read it you mm. know I I enjoyed their work I got so much out of their work that the least I could do was give them a copy of my book and if they read it and they like it terrific and if they you know use it to prop up a table that's okay too mm -hmm. um but but you know not everyone but a lot of people got back to me and had nice things to say that's and great. one one guy um i i'm i'm embarrassed to say my uh, my research wasn't wasn't as good as i thought it was i didn't even i knew that he'd written a play but i didn't realize he'd written a book and one day he he shoots me an email and says hey uh I found your book and I had, you know, it's terrific. And, you know, I, I think he found it in a grocery store, if you can believe that <laughs> somehow, somehow the book ended up in one of those monster grocery sure. stores. Yeah. And, uh, and so he said, Oh yeah, I was reading it. And it's actually really good. And, you know, and I, so I, I connected with him and I, I read his book, which was terrific. And, um, you know, we chatted on the phone and yeah, it's, it's, yeah. As I say, it's, it's one of the, my favorite things, um, you know, it's in some ways it's even more satisfying than than you know seeing your book in the bookstore, which is again for sure very cool. Birds of a feather and all that. Yeah. Um, with, when it comes to, and I'd like to diverge off of this for a minute and just talk a little bit about um, poetry, if if I could. That's okay. Um, when it comes to when it comes to writing poetry versus writing long form novels, um, have you have you considered uh, have you tried or thought about doing like an like a what's the I can't think of the word a collection of poems what is that called sure well this the small ones are called chat books chat books chat s a c h a p oh chat books okay yes and what and are, then, like anthologies or compendiums or I don't yeah know. I mean there's it's you know um, very few people actually. Uh, buy poet buy books of poetry so so basically you when you write poetry it's for other poets oh, okay you know that that's who who consumes poetry you know almost entirely mm. um uh and yes there's there are anthologies and and there are magazines which is i i have mostly published in and and um you know they they have chap books that that some publishers publish okay um uh, yeah, no, no one's no one's been interested in publishing um, a book of my stuff. Um, <laughs> so, you know, which is that's okay. God, it wasn't meant to sound like that. I, I well, the, the reason I ask is that you know, obviously, I've discussed poetry a couple of times again on the podcast, and it is it is an interesting thing where there feels like there was a shift where poetry became a smaller digestible thing as opposed to like 
sure you know stuff written in verse like shakespeare or whatever you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there was there was a point to it when poetry was more about the production and you stood on a stage and read something very dramatic versus reading a poem and the walt whitman kind of you know light of day stuff you know yeah i mean i i think right now uh poetry is having a moment uh, because of social media, mm. you you have the insta poets like um, Rupi Kaur, yep. who who I mean who's been sort of catapulted into this um, uh, amazing fame. You know, arguably the most famous poet in Canada, mm-hmm. um, um, and 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 really with Instagram uh, being being the, the the way that people found out about her, and and you know and and. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think, you know, more, more power to her. And I think also uh, people who uh, come to poetry through social media, um, that's a good thing for, for everyone who writes poetry because, you know, rather than taking away their audience, I think it's growing the audience. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, um, so I think right now, definitely there's a hunger for this very personal, short, digestible poetry like Rupi Carr writes. It feels, well, I mean, it, it feels more one-on-one versus, you know, buying a book of poetry or seeing a, a poem that you buy in a magazine or whatever. Like when, like in the case of Rupi Carr, the, Carr, the she's the one publishing it to her page, you know, she's the one yeah. publishing it to her feed. And as a follower of that, account you get to see what she writes and it i wondered that's where i was kind of leading to is i wondered Mm. if you were considering going down that kind of path because you know poetry is a it's an it's an interesting outlet i find like i i I was right i write verse i used to write verse all the time and and most of it was little tiny things but i remember keeping a book of poetry and, and it was it was never like a one theme it was always just what hit me in the in the moment but i think part of it was that i liked i like rhyming schemes i like the idea of how you could create a verse that flowed in a certain way and i you know as someone i'm I'm such a big fan of yours that i wondered if you considered sort of sharing poetry to your various social media channels i i did but you know i think my the stuff i write it tends to be too long hmm. um you know that that it's you know uh, the stuff that i see being successfully shared via instagram is you know like a one one stands of you know four or five lines and right. i so i feel that doesn't work for me i i think if if it did or or if it does in the future i would i would definitely do that hmm. but um Actually, I can tell you what what I'm doing right now. I don't know if it'll, anything will ever come of it, but it's actually super fun, and it involves a friend, a mutual friend of ours. Okay. So, um, uh, we both have worked with Dre LeBray. Sure. Before, um, Dre, uh, you know, in addition to being a creative director and sort of futurist, and uh, he he he's also a terrific musician, and I've I've had the fortune of playing bands with him. Um, so I, I uh, uh, bumped into him recently, and he's he's um, working with um, uh, with AI, mm-hmm. um, and he's been you know just sort of feeding text into AIs and seeing and and having visuals uh, created, and they're you know as as they as they are they're kind of eerie and weird and and um, dinner party. And he, 
Yeah. He, he, he made a Is dinner that, party. That's the one? Yeah. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah. I, don't know, so, I don't know if that's what it's still called, but he did a thing with dinner party, yeah. He, he that's so, so he's done that, but he's also working with these, he's like creating these still pictures. I, I think that I think the AI pulls images from uh, from Google Google uh, images and, and, you know, combines them to create a single image. Oh, cool. So Dre had this thought, what if I use poetry? Mm. What, you know, again, small poems exactly like you know like rupee cars um the same size at least um what what will i get so he asked me you know do you have some stuff and, and i gave him some stuff and you know produced some really fun uh pictures hmm. and and then we both thought you know why don't we tr produce like why don't you write some poetry with ai in mind you know, with understanding a little bit how how it works, how the program works, mm. um, and see see what it produces. So um, we're working together. I'm I'm you know sharing these small poems, and the, we're having these really weird, deeply weird uh, pictures produced, and and um, we're we're just going to see what comes out of that, and if it's something that um, people might be interested in, you know, we're going to look at ways of sharing that that's very cool that's yeah. very cool dre's it's, been it's a fun. guest a, a couple of times on the podcast actually so oh. it's like yeah yeah all right i know all right i know we're way ahead of you <laughs> go back and listen to those those episodes they will be linked in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> you know it's i i, I just wonder the, the reason i was curious about the, the whole sharing on social media was you know our, i'd written a christmas poem that i had called um, Santa Quits, and it was all about Santa quitting the, the gig and how he gets his head turned around on it by an elf and yada, yada, yada. And I shared it with my friend who is an editor, and he had said, you know, you know, poetry is hard. And it was like, it just cut me off at the knees, and I, yeah. I didn't know how to react to that. And, and so, you know, he'd, we'd gone out for a drink for him to explain why it was so hard. And maybe I'm not a good poet and all this stuff. It's totally fine. And honestly, like, I have tried so many things that not being good at this particular thing was okay with me. But we did an episode about it and I read the poem to him and he like by the time I was done he he's like I think I misjudged that poem because uh, you know having you read it was a different had a different effect than me reading it because the way I would go through the the lines to go through the stanzas to go through the whole thing was very different than how he would read it right yeah and i wondered this is why i'm asking i wondered even with longer poems you could narrate a one-year poems your longer poems and it would be a minute and a half or two minutes and it would still be a very digestible thing and and it would be very easy for people to hear because one you have a, a great speaking voice and two you have no problem with you know being heard um that's not to say you need to do it i just it was one of the things that popped into my head is as i thought about your poetry and and how it, it could have a new audience in social media well i, I mean that I, that makes perfect sense uh, that's a very good question i which i don't have an answer for um you know <laughs> maybe, maybe i should maybe i should do that you have the mic <laughs> um you, you know what's what struck me though hugh you know when you were saying you said poetry is hard hmm. um it, it is kind of a crazy medium you know imagine if you had to sell songs by um handing someone the lyrics and saying yeah. do you like this song yeah you know it's it's a it's a ridiculous thing mm -hmm. you know 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, poetry is poetry. Uh, you know, there's cadence and rhythm, and there's uh, timbre. There, there's all these these things that are very similar with music. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, the way we we experience poetry is, you know, the words on a page, and and you know, it's our it's our inner voice that reads it, not not yeah. the the poet themselves. The hope, the hope that they read it the way you intended it. And I mean, yeah. part of that comes with. I mean, honestly, it definitely could have could be editing involved and all that stuff. I think the other thing was that when you're talking to someone who is a, a book editor, he also sees where the market is and isn't. He's like, you know, it is so sure. difficult to sell a Christmas book. It is it it's a once a year thing. If you don't generalize a thing for a kid's book, it becomes very difficult because they're like, well, you're only going to sell it once or you're going to have to set it up so that it can be sold multiple years in a row or all yeah. that stuff. And honestly, like I'm not invested enough in it to, uh, to do anything with it, but I am invested enough in it to mention it a billion times. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I, I just find poetry to be super interesting. Like our last guest oh, was, was Sarah Beth Holden and she had written a book called don't change my diaper. And she said it was, I wrote it as poems, like a bunch, like every spread is a, is a small, I don't know if it's four lines or whatever. Um, but I said, is that, was that intentional? And she's like, yeah, I like rhyming. I like, <laughs> and part of it, part of it becomes like when you're reading a book to a child, right? Like part of that yeah. is if you think about any of the books, Goodnight Moon and all that stuff, it becomes very sure. lyrical and the, the rhythm of it helps them to relax. And, you know, I think that's probably why we as adults will like poetry if, if it's done right and well. Uh, I, I agree. And I think that's how a lot of us experience or re-experience poetry is reading to our children, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it, you know, these rhymes, you know, Dr. Seuss and, and, and the like, and um, yeah. And I, and I, I think again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, I think with, the market for poetry is is you know very small and very specific mm-hmm. and i think i think that it's it's poetry is best done for oneself and um there is a market but i think the key with the internet is you know you don't just have to send it out to to canadian publishers and and canadian journals you know um i've published stuff in ireland in in england mm-hmm. You know, there and, and you know you've got Australia, uh, South Africa, all these English-speaking countries that you know that um, you know, and I think you 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 go broad, and uh, and I, I think you can you can find a market for for poetry that way, mm-hmm. but it's it's just not it's it's just not a lot, um, and I, I also think that there can be challenges for people that are outside of academia. I think that there's a there you know a lot of poets um, are are university professors right and that's and that's how they that's how they work and that's the community and and you know and and there's nothing wrong with that you know I'm I'm happy for them but if you're not part of that community I think there can be that additional challenge to to kind of get work uh, uh, published it's a snake eating its tail. I think it is, and it's and it's a small, it's a very small market. The the same people that are looking to publish their work are the people that are buying other people's work. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So ex- except for these kind of breakthrough people like Rupi Carr, which, as I said, you know, she, sometimes she gets flack from from you know uh, 
you know, legitimate poets. And I just think they're foolish to criticize her. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, I think you have to appreciate that her stuff is speaking to, to people. And, and the fact that she's, she's opening the door to all these people that are going to, you know, you know, potentially buy other people's poetry and, and come to know other types of poetry. So seeing as how I've been doing this creative project for the past six months, well, four months, maybe people are very supportive when it comes to hitting a like button, less so when they want to spend some money. So it's, it's a, it's a, a delicate balance of accepting of course. that reality. Yeah, of course. So obviously it's, how do I get paid to do the thing I'm doing on the side? <laughs> you know, that's, that's yeah. all it comes down to. That's the trick. And it, it, I can't believe how helpful being a marketer is. <laughs> in that regard. And, but I also think Hugh, that, um, there's some there's some tough realities about making art um, in Canada, and and mm. and it's it's very difficult to make ends meet. You know, I I know I know some uh, uh, I know this one um, writer who you know who's very successful. He was one of the judges for the um, Giller Prize this year, right. um, and and his his stuff you know is always well reviewed in 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 the Globe and Mail and this and and you know large things like this he, he still doesn't make enough money from his books alone to, to make a living you know yeah the lament of the artist honestly <laughs> a constant yeah. constant thing yeah and, it, and rich people that, support us that hasn't changed that hasn't changed since yeah well that since hasn't Tom changed Thompson. since thompson's time exactly you know thompson that's called full circle that's a full yeah. circle conversation right there yeah. you know there you um, go <laughs> One of the things that, that came up in conversation that I'm, I'm curious about is is the aura and the community that surround Thompson. And and you were saying that, you know, there are other authors that have written books and, and that you've been able to connect with them. Uh, is there sort of a generalized community that, that you can find events happening or, or, or that if you're just a fan of, of Thompson in general, that, that it just exists where you can find like-minded individuals? Yeah, I mean, uh, surprisingly or surprisingly to me, it, it does exist, and and um, I found it on Facebook. Most of us are are, are of a certain age, so mm-hmm. Facebook is is probably our our weapon of choice in terms of social media. So I found some fabulous groups on Facebook that that. Um, uh, are organized by authors of, uh, you know, other authors of, of Thompson books. And, and I found um, this very supportive community where, you know, people not only share, um, uh, you know, stuff about Thompson paintings, uh, you know, pictures of uh, Algonquin Park, um, but also, you know, um, there was a show recently, for example, at the Art Gallery of Hamilton, hmm. and this terrific author, Angie Littlefield, um, was one of the speakers. And so someone, it might have even been me, I, I can't remember, but um, someone, you know, uh, shared the um, event on, on these Facebook pages. And, and uh, so it's, yeah, I found it to be incredibly supportive. And uh, um, I mean, it's very specific, well, well, <laughs> but it's great. But does it, does it extend out to other members of the group of seven? Like, is there like a, do you, do you, or, or is he, are you hyper-focused on Thompson himself? <laughs> So these groups are, uh, you know, are, are meant to be hyper-focused on Thompson himself. But okay. I, I imagine that people that are there would be interested in Canadian are... art or interested in, you sure. know, that they like, they like Algonquin Park, you know, might join this group um, simply because, you know, their interests sort of dovetail onto yeah. Thompson. Right, right. <laughs> no, 
only Thompson. Only ever Thompson. Yeah, oh my God. Only Thompson. Take, take it hey, easy, hey, hey. Sally. Back off. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Well, well, we'll make sure we link to those, those groups and, and, uh, and events and, and, and the other offer. You said her name was, um, oh, sorry, Angie Littlefield. Angie Littlefield. Yeah, I think she's, a, she's I think a that's great fantastic. Writer. So normally when it comes to authors, I do a giveaway of, uh, one of their books and i think i'm going to do it again i think i'm going to do it again i think i'm going to do Great. a giveaway of the book uh the real mystery of tom thompson from dragon hill publishing what would be a good question i have i think i have a question but what would be a good right. question for you to ask that someone needs to answer uh to win a book a signed book because i'll get it signed this might be pretty tough but um, what was the name of tom thompson's patron <gasps> oh I like it. I like it. Okay, everybody that's listening that wants to get a copy of this book, the first person that responds with the name of Tom Thompson's patron, we're not repeating it right now. You're going to have to listen through the episode. If you didn't catch it the first time, do a little scrubberoo or look it up, which it probably exists uh, as a Google search. Oh, yes. And uh, I will mail that book signed by the author potentially even inscribed directly to you by name if yeah, I can uh, do that. if it's uh if you don't mind waiting <laughs> email me at hugh at can't sell this podcast.com i'm not going to spell it out because it's a very long url and and answer that question with this subject tom thompson episode I don't know. It doesn't matter. Honestly, I'll read the email. I don't get that many emails to that, that particular address. And I would say that is that. Richard, so, so amazing to speak to you today. It was a pleasure for, for me as well. Thanks for having me on, Hugh. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stephen Grambart. Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. Opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating. <laughs>